0: Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. June is National Dairy Month. This observance began in 1937 as National Milk Month, as a way to promote drinking milk. The original purpose was to level the demand for dairy, as there was a surplus in production. Soon, the National Dairy Council stepped in and changed the focus to being about all of the contributions the dairy industry has given us. So the annual celebration then became known as National Dairy Month. As the appropriate omnivore, I'm celebrating this month. Honoring the dairies, I see following the sustainability and humane treatment of cows, which I promote on my blog and podcast. To talk with me about dairy farming at its best is Nicola O'Connell of Truly Grass-Fed. Truly Grass-Fed has grazing cows outside on the lush green grasses of Ireland. They produce two of my favorite dairy products, butter and cheese. Nicola is joining me straight from her home in Ireland via Zoom. Nicola, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Erin. Very nice to be here. Thank you.
0: Yes, great to have you on. Your company is Truly Grass-Fed, which I think very much represents the mission of the appropriate omnivore as we're about being Truly Grass-Fed. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the background of the company.
1: Well, Truly Grass-Fed really started out in uh, 2017 um, as a brand, uh, and it is from Vlanbia, Ireland. Gambia Ireland is a a dairy company. It's a co-op basically out of Ireland. Um, We have uh, about five and a half to 6,000 farmers within that co-op. So it's it's actually Ireland's largest dairy cooperative. Um, And Truly Grass-Fed really started out as a brand with the idea of bringing natural grass-based dairy products to uh, primarily American consumers to start with. Um, where we could really substantiate the claims that we were making um, around those products and we knew that we had something really interesting and great that we were working with in Ireland in terms of our grass-based platform Um, and we wanted to, I suppose, bring something that was uh, very transparent um, and reassuring to um, a U.S. consumer who was looking for that sort of product.
0: And that's how I find a lot of these natural companies are, is they're essentially a co-op of sustainable farms that fit their mission. So, what does Truly Grass-Fed look for in terms of farms to partner with? So
1: for us, it's, it's when we talk about Truly Grass-Fed, the farms that we're working with in particular are a subset of, of that total um, farm supply base that we work with within our co-op. Um, and the farms for Truly Grass-Fed tend to be very much within the southeast catchment area of our herd. Um, where I'm actually based myself here in Waterford um, right smack down in the southeast but, but it, it, it goes up beyond that it, it can go um, right across to sort of the western part of the county that I'm in Waterford and then right up to sort of touching into Dublin so just that southeastern part of the country if you like is where um, truly grass-fed farmers are based um, and for us the important thing is that that these farmers are really um, I suppose maximizing the time for the animals out on grass. Uh, the reason why we find a lot of those farmers in this part of the country is because um, the weather conditions here really permit um, animals to be out a lot and, and also enable great grass growth, which is obviously, as you can imagine, a very important component of, of Truly Grass-Fed um, uh, as a platform. So. Yeah to be a farmer for truly grass fed number one you've got to be a member of our co-op so we just work with with the farmers in our co-op we don't really enter into any agreements with farmers outside of our co-op um so we can very much stand over um how those farmers are farming um and they obviously need to be able to make um the claims that we're they need, need to be able to to farm according to how we're we're marketing in the market, which is 95% grass-fed, 250 days outside. And of course, um, non-GMO project verified as well. So um, all of those farmers are basically able to to kind of meet those requirements that we have in the market.
0: Yes, 95% grass-fed is definitely a big draw I I see to it as a a lot of dairies are fed way less grass. And so can you explain a little more of what the 95% grass-fed diet involves?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, our animals are fed primarily grass. So um, a lot of people out there uh, would see, sometimes you see 100% grass claim, but a lot of times you see just grass fed. So there isn't any um, specific information coming through about how right. actually in the cow's diet. And, and that was actually part of the insight, really, I would say, one of the core insights which led us to develop the truly grass fed brand. We had talked to consumers and uh, we had done a lot of research. We know that consumers were very interested in grass-fed dairy. They, all, they already had a knowledge about grass-fed in terms of, of beef. Um, and they were interested in grass-fed dairy but were confused by you know, the claims that were being made in the market, the fact that there wasn't really any sense of, of transparency around that. So we thought we had an opportunity to come to the market with something which was gonna be really clear, really upfront um, and transparent around what we could stand over. So we knew that the system that we had in Ireland, which is, as I said, very much primarily grass-based, um, was going to appeal, but we wanted to get really specific about it. Um, and we talk about 95% because, um, as most dairy farmers out there will know, whether it's Ireland or whether it's the US or any part of the world, um, it's, it would be highly unusual to have 100% grass in a cow's diet. and. And the reason why is because um, cows, when they are birthing calves, which is pretty much what it's all about when it comes to dairy, um, they need some supplemental nutrition. Um, so it's, it's really down to supplemental vitamins and minerals that cows need, particularly um, when they're you know just about to give birth and particularly when they're lactating. So late gestation, early lactation, are times of the year when cows need a little extra something um, just to get them over uh, those more physically demanding times um, in the year for them and that's a, that's that's what the other 5% is if you like so it is that supplemental feed uh, that they get on top of grass other than that it is grazing outside for 250 days taking whatever they need in, in terms of grass and then that um, when they come inside so if the weather gets pretty bad which, it never gets really bad here in Ireland, but it can get cold, it can get, you know, not so pleasant to be out in. So those months tend to be definitely December, January. Um, and sometimes it can creep into a little bit of February, a little bit of November on the on the back end side. Um, but it averages 250 days. When they come inside, they are then getting ensiled grass. So during the summer when the grass growth is very abundant, um, we're obviously harvesting grass as well as as moving the cows from one pasture to another. Um, And the harvested grass is then brought back in, um, is dried and then fed to the cows when they come in in the winter as well. So their diet is very much grass all year round with just that little 5% extra for um, supplement.
0: And the transparency is a big draw for me of what I like about Truly Grass-Fed because like you said, other ones don't say it, and we don't really know what they're giving. There's some watchdog organizations that have done some vetting, but even that, you don't know how much the accuracy is, depends on when they visit. So with your product that you say it right there, we really know what we're getting.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And look, that's why we, we just want to be clear with the claims that we're making to consumers so that there isn't any confusion. They understand what they're getting. The fact that I suppose the farmers are all part of our own co-op as well means that we have that authority over them to work with us in the way that we need them to.
0: And the grass that the cows are eating, obviously that's great for the, the cow's health and also it has a lot of sustainability for our planet. But additionally, it has a lot of benefit to us that consume these dairy products like cheese and butter. So what do you see as the health benefits of grass fed dairy?
1: Look, there you know, a lot of people speak about the the perceived health benefits of grass fed, and what's been really good is in the last few years, there have been a number of studies um, produced out of Ireland, um, which have been published in the uh, Journal of Dairy Science, um, which very much support and back up um, some of those benefits that have been talked about. So there's a number of them. I mean, from a health perspective, um, the, the the fat part, which is what we're talking about when it comes to um, uh, to butter and cheese. Um, you know, there's there's a number of benefits that come through there. So conjugated linoleic acids, which we all yes. know, benefit across a number of conditions. So it, it's anti-inflammatory. And um, when it comes to um, heart issues, etc., um, it, it it absolutely has benefit. And what we have seen is that Uh, Grass-fed dairy has um, more than twice the level of conjugated linoleic acid, if not slightly more. Um, But these studies that we were looking at in 17 and 18 um, were showing that it was two to two and a half times the level of conjugated linoleic acids in grass-fed dairy versus grain-fed. Also, just the ratio between omega-3 and omega-6, which again has um, associated health benefits, uh, is also significantly higher um in grass-fed versus grain-fed. Um, I mean, what these studies aren't showing is, you know, it, it doesn't actually um, prove it all the way through to, um, to the end result in terms of a human, um, uh, if you like, just exhibiting this particular improvement within their health. But we can say that the content has been shown to be there, and the content um, is definitely significantly higher. And then ultimately there are other studies that show that you know if you have uh, more CLAs in your diet, if you've got a better optimized ratio of omega-3 versus omega-6, then that can have positive impacts on your health. So just to be again, clear about all of that. Um, the other thing that came through some of the studies that were done, which was interesting, was um, the sensory impact of grass-fed versus grain-fed. Um, and there were a couple of studies conducted with both cheese and butter which again showed significant preference um, for grass-fed cheese and butter, um, and really what was coming through there was, um, for the most part, creaminess, creaminess in the texture, um, and then we also know visually there is a difference, particularly in the butter, and um, the beta-carotene, which again is significantly higher um, in grass-fed versus grain-fed because there's so much of it in grass. Um, that is what really uh, gives grass-fed butter that much deeper yellow um, appearance than you see with with the grain-fed butter, which tends to be much lighter and whiter.
0: Yes, I would say CLA and omega-3s, those are very much the big benefits of any kind of grass-fed product. And I also like it yeah. that you brought up the fat content. Would you recommend that people consume full-fat dairy?
1: Well, look, we think everybody should consume what they choose, you know, and, 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 and we would we would think that that um, dairy companies should offer a choice, um, particularly when it comes to liquid milk, for example. Um, and some people have reasons why, you know, they do want to pursue a low fat diet, um, which, of course, uh, we understand and we would want to support and, and, and always give those customers a choice. We have quite a, a big Liquid milk um, uh, brand called Avonmore back here in Ireland, uh, and we offer you know a a lot of choice to to our consumers back in Ireland around that. We have lactose free, we have skim milk that we offer them, um, and and protein enriched milk as well, protein fortified milk. We don't have a a liquid milk offer in the truly grass fed brand in the states at the moment because that tends to be more of a local offer as you'd expect, but. yeah, look, I mean, personally, I, I always choose um, full fat. It's just, it's something that I I, I always like. I always like to, to consume a product as close to its natural state as wow. I possibly can. That's just my own preference. Um, Mine too. So yeah, I, I, and I think it tastes great, but look, um, people have different reasons for wanting lower fat, and, and I understand that completely.
0: And another great thing that I like about Truly Grass-Fed is you have the Certified Animal Welfare Approved Label from Greener World can you explain about what's involved with getting the certification?
1: Yeah, look, we um, we started talking to a Greener World back in 2017. Um, we really liked uh, their label and what they were about. We looked at a number of different animal welfare labels at the time, um, and a Greener World um, appealed to us. So we have been working with them um, on the Truly fed brand since 2017. Um, and look, there, you know, they they are very demanding in their expectations of what um, of, of what a farm-based system must contribute in terms of animal welfare um, they have a lot of uh, demands and call-outs around all of that um, they very much look at pasture- based systems they they don't really accredit anything outside of that um, and uh, it, it's all about basically ensuring that we are compliant with an audit so First and foremost, they came over, they spent some time on a good number of our farms um, uh, within the catchment area. Uh, So they had a very good understanding of of how we were farming. um, And they knew that we were certainly aligned with where they would want us to be and that we were on the right track. Um, And then we had to go through uh, a number of of iterations of audits on farms um, to make sure that they were satisfied that they were going to comply with their requirements. And then on an ongoing basis, we are auditing our farms every 18 months um, to ensure that we're continually complying with both their requirements and other um, quality and sustainability um, parameters that we're monitoring as well. So that's how we continue to comply. I mean, it's it's an annual certification. So it's looked at every year. Um, And as I said, you know, it's, it's third party audited.
0: Greener World is an excellent organization. I had the chance to meet them and learn what they're all about at the eco farm at the beginning of this year. And I really like their practice. They have a lot of different certifications. Has Truly Grassfed looked into getting any other types of certifications for the products?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. We're, we're very interested in looking at a regenerative agriculture certification at the moment yes. because we think it's one that we, we definitely could comply with. Um, We take the whole area of sustainability very seriously Um, we've done a lot of work on it uh, here within our business over the last year and working with our farmers. Um, We've got uh, a lot of work still to do and we have established um, very significant targets uh, and initiatives that we're now putting in place formally over the next couple of months. so regenerative agriculture is certainly high on our list, uh, but lots of work to do to, to comply with that. It's it's a toughie, you know. Um, there's a few different um, few different initiatives and platforms that are looking at it, but we particularly like uh, the one that um, is coming from the Greener World, and we are talking to them about uh, about ultimately looking to comply with that. Outside of regenerative agriculture, we we have non-GMO projects Verified, um, and we know that you know non-GMO is important for many of the consumers that we're targeting. So that's one that we also got over the line in um, 2017. Um, but look, we talk to our consumers very regularly and third-party accreditation is important to the type of consumer that we're targeting. They they want that sense of, of confidence um, and trust that they are choosing something that really is what it says on the tin. Um, so we take that very seriously and we continue to look for other third-party accreditations that that align with what we're about as a brand.
0: I like that you're looking into the regenerative agriculture certification do you think that regenerative agriculture is very much the future of the standard for sustainable food?
1: I do I mean I I don't think that you you can truly be sustainable without it Um, and look I know sometimes there are other ways of of looking at you know if you sort of take it back up to uh, more of a helicopter level, there are many people who will argue that, you know, food sustainability at its very core is about ensuring we've got enough food for the planet. Um, and that's where I suppose a GMO, a GMO argument can come in, um, which I understand that if you just think about sustainability is something that's going to stick around or something that there's enough of that, that, that you know, everybody can benefit from. But unfortunately, you can't just look at it through that lens um, because you also have to look at it in terms of how it impacts animals, how it impacts the environment, um, how it impacts biodiversity, how it impacts um, carbon and climate change and all those things. So I think when you bring all of that together, um, regenerative agriculture is at the heart of it. So regenerative agriculture is obviously it's, it's all about soil health, but it's about water quality um, uh and and. Yeah, I mean, look, you can't have a a strong grass-based system that's sustainable um, for grazing animals unless you're also taking regenerative agriculture very seriously.
0: To go along with what you said about GMOs, the question is really how much of GMOs are even used in order to feed the world. I think a lot of it then really ends up going into things like making high fructose corn syrup, which is bad for our health, and goes back into because we have an abundance that the reason cows and other animals are fed all this corn, soy, and wheat, it's actually because we have a surplus. So that's the reason they're fed it. So in the end, GMOs do more harm if they even really can feed the world because there've been some studies saying that they really don't yield as much as they say they do. And also the way it hurts these countries because that's the only thing they're growing.
1: Yep, absolutely. And then obviously the impact biodiversity, um, you know, is something that has to be considered as well.
0: Right. So GMOs can actually do a lot of environmental harm. I think also just in terms of transporting them, it really is the opposite of the eat local movement.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's true.
0: In terms of regenerative agriculture, organic. Yeah, it was a good start. I think it really brought us aware more of the food we're eating. Certainly it did it for me, but with organic, it's not perfect. There are organic pesticides and the idea of regenerative agriculture is It really focuses on the health of the soil.
1: It does and I think look I mean there there are others who can speak with much more expertise uh, around this topic than I can Um, but obviously we know that the um, uh, having the likes of free-range pastured animals also has a very positive impact on soil health Um, so grass-based Grass-based organic is probably, um, um, you know, a lot more towards regenerative than just pure organic. Um, but, but I think what regenerative does as well is take into account animal welfare and animals being outside. Uh, and that is a very significant part of it. Um, like there's, you know, you look at organic dairy, but there's um, a lot of animals that really don't get to see much of the outside. I mean, USDA organic, does mandate 120 days outside, but that is literally access to outside. So in a lot of time, a lot of situations, you'll have a barn door open and and cows come wander outside to what is not a very abundant pasture for a very long time, um, and that's not at all the same as as animals being outside all the time for most of the year.
0: You know. Yeah. Yes. I've always found it somewhat odd, in a way, that with beef, the whole focus has always been grass fed, but interestingly. With dairy, it hasn't, it, the focus is more organic and we're finally coming around because my friend Will Winter talked about this a few years ago about how actually this was 2018, for the first time sales in organic dairy were down and what is selling now is grass-fed dairy because there's a greater difference between grass-fed and grain-fed than there is between organic and conventional.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Now, Graham, we've we've done, we actually did some research um, just before Christmas with uh, consumers in uh, Tampa, Boston and San Diego, um, just to get a read on on a number of things. Um, And we were really surprised by how much consumers had almost moved beyond organic to grass fed. Um, And we even had, you know, situations where we were showing them the products that we were thinking about bringing to market, and they were saying, I really like the fact that, you know, this is grass-fed organic, and we were saying, well, actually, we're technically grass-fed, um, we're not organic, and because we just, we really just don't have a history of organic in Ireland, we just haven't farmed that way, I think because we've been farming grass-fed for so long, it, it never felt like there was a need for it, and um, and we found the consumers and these were consumers that we had recruited um, who are organic buyers. So they're, they're used to organic already. We're saying, no, 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 it doesn't really matter. It's grass-fed. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the consumer has moved on um, and is expecting more. Uh, and I think grass-fed is ticking a lot of boxes for that consumer. It's not, ev- like, it's not every consumer's choice. Some consumers really don't care and that's fine. But for the consumer who is more, a more conscious shopper And really, you know, is looking for something that's aligning more to their values. Um, I think it's important.
0: Yes. Another thing which I see aligned to a lot of people's values is traceability in a product. And I know that Truly Grass Fed now has that. Can you tell us a little bit about how your traceability feature works?
1: Look, for us, traceability. you know, it's always been a very important component of, of what the brand's about. Um, and there's a couple of things to that. I mean, there's obviously um, the fact that we work our own co-op um, allows us to really work closely with our farmers um, and partner with them around how we're farming and how we go to market. Um, and then the other part of it is that we, uh, again, you know, place... Um, a lot of emphasis on this third party accreditation. So working with the likes of non-gumal project verified with animal welfare approved, for me, that's a, that's a, a key component of, of um, the traceability part as well. Like we have looked, we've actually looked at blockchain and really thought, you know, do we want to go the whole hog here and, and absolutely make it, um, you know, a shared ledger, which is what blockchain is about all through the process. Um, and we can do that. It's, it's an incredible amount of work, um, but we could do it. Uh, the problem is, I think we, we can, we've actually looked to see can we, could we trace one product all the way back to, to one farm, um, which would be ideal, right? And that's not something we can do. I mean, at the moment, we could trace one product all the way back to probably about 200 farms. And that's because we can trace it all the way back to the kind of the initial you know, intake tank that it comes into um, from the lorries and, and there are our own lorries as well that are collecting it. So from the trucks that are collecting from the farms, so the, the trucks go out, they collect, they have a whole route that they do um, within a day. Um, and usually um, they'll have about, I'm probably gonna get this wrong and I've colleagues who know a lot better, but it's, it's something like about 40 to 50 farms worth of milk that they'll have within that one container and they'll bring it back. And then there's maybe like four four truckloads of milk that goes into that one tanker and we can trace it all the way back to that. So that's pretty good, you know, um, from the traceability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, it's all our own farmer's milk that's in there.
0: I'm seeing a lot of different companies use a traceability program. I think the big one is eggs. I've seen a lot with that. There is also the company Nurture Ranch. They're a beef company and their whole thing is that every piece of meat you get comes from one cow. So we are seeing it with a lot of different companies. Do you think more companies will be using it too?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like the, the whole sort of um, blockchain piece that we looked at, and we actually worked with IBM on the project to look at it in more detail for Truly Grassfed, fed um, And I think it, it comes from a pharmaceutical background really where you have that, what they call shared ledger, which includes not just everyone in your supply chain you know, basically being part of that ledger, but also people outside the supply chain, like in customs and all the rest. Um, and I don't, I don't know that we need that level of traceability from a consumer perspective for food. I mean, you have to have it for pharmaceuticals for health and safety reasons. Um, but I think, I do think consumers want, they want to be able to trust us. I mean, if there's one thing that we do see a lot in the States in particular versus we'll say other markets in Europe that we, we look, look at and have products in and talk to consumers in, is that a lot of US consumers do have an innate mistrust of some of the bigger food companies. You know? And it's, it's a funny one that they just, they're starting from a place of mistrust. So they do really need to be reassured. Um, and that's why I think traceability is very important for a lot of those consumers. So yeah, I mean I think if you're a brand that's going to want to appeal to that more well, I wouldn't say demanding consumer, I, I think it's it's because that sounds like they're 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 ott in terms of what they're expecting, but actually it's perfectly understandable that consumer has higher expectations then yeah, I mean, I think you are going to have to come to the table with with a way of proving that traceability.
0: I think the traceability goes back to what you're saying at the beginning of this program about transparency like. Telling the consumers that you're 95 percent grass-fed. Are there other ways that truly grass-fed works on being more transparent in the food industry?
1: Look, I, th- I think we're just as much as possible. We try to be very specific and upfront in terms of what we're about. Um, and like the 95 percent, the 250 days. You know, we had a lot, a lot of back and forth with our uh, farm-facing team um to make sure that we were going to be able to make those claims and there was a, an awful lot of data um, that we based those claims on um, so we were really clear before we made them that we were going to be able to stand over them because you know i think if once you put a number out there you, you really do have to be able to stand over it um, so i think obviously as you say that's that's a fundamental part of it and then anything you know, that we're putting on our website, um, that we're posting or being specific. We, we just try to be, we try to nail it as much as we can, you know? Um, and yeah, I think it, it's it's through the content that we're bringing, through the partnerships that we form around the brand um, and through some of the people that we work with. Like it's, it's bringing an authentic voice um, to what we do. Like we work with a a chef called Captain Fulvio, um, who is herself a dairy farmer, um, a dairy farmer's daughter. And uh, she works from a place called Ballynockham, which is a lovely place in Wicklow, which is a dairy farm as well. Um, she's starting to get more well known in the States. She's a, a, a big time celebrity chef in Ireland. So, you know, we like to work with people like that who have that kind of authentic voice um, uh, coming from Ireland, coming from the dairy industry that we we're a part of as well.
0: Yes. yes. And in regards to the dairy industry, there are so many amazing dairies in Ireland. Do you think that the land uh, and the environment in Ireland contributes to making excellent milk and dairy products?
1: Oh, I absolutely do. Um, I mean, I think it's very key to uh, what we're about. Um, there's no doubt. And, and of course, you know, every brand owner talks like this, but if there's one um, response that we get time and time again um, to our products, it's, it's around taste. Um, and, you know, and that is pure and natural taste, like with with dairy products and especially with um, with cheese and butter. It's so natural. I mean, there's so little intervention. It's unbelievable. Like if you take butter, it literally is you get your milk in, you separate it, you take the cream and then you add in a bit of salt and you churn it. And that's it, that's all you do. And then you just pack it in some foil, done. Um, same with cheese, you're taking in, you know, the whole milk goes into cheese um, and it's the curds and whey, just like Ms. Moffat and all the rest. And, uh, and then you get your cheese and it's, it's again, it's, it's all you're adding is like a little bit of adjuncts, a little bit of enzyme just at the beginning to kind of get that process going, um, that natural process. And then you're just maturing it. And that is literally what it is. So that's what I love about it. I mean, there's just, there's so little added to it in terms of other ingredients. Um, and there's just so little done to it in terms of processing, um, it's just not needed. And again, I suppose for us, you know, that that really unique sort of taste that we're getting from both butter and from cheese, that that sensory, that creamy sensory characteristic that comes through from Irish cheddars, as well as from butter is, is really all about the the softness of the fat that's coming from grass fed, um, and you know that's another part of it that we haven't touched on is is I suppose what it, what grass fed milk results in from um, a fat fraction point of view. So it does have a naturally softer fat, and that's what's contributing to this kind of sensory um, experience around creaminess as well, and and it actually has a. An impact on mouthfeel; it it melts at a different point in your mouth than grain-fed does. Um, so all of that contributes to a different sensory experience. So like without without the climate in Ireland, we just wouldn't get that. And um, it is that moderate climate; like we never we never get it too hot, unfortunately, because I love the heat. Um, and <laughs> Me
0: too. too
1: cold. Um, we always have a nice bit of soft rain, <laughs> <laughs> kind of floating in um and what it does mean is that the cows are out all year round pretty much and then because you have this sort of not too cold not too hot rain you're getting like this incredible grass growth um, pretty much all year round i mean it's, it's unbelievable it really stops growing at about the end of october november and then starts up again in late february um so you know that's that's what allows this to happen. I mean, the, the the part of the world that comes closest to us is New Zealand, um, but New Zealand does have more extremities of weather, I and mean, New Zealand has a very different farming system to ours. Like the the cows are out a lot, absolutely, and um, they do eat a lot of grass. But I suppose what characterises um, our farming system are small family farms. That's literally 99% farms in Ireland are passed down from one generation to the next we have many sixth and seventh generation farmers wow. um, and it's all it's, it's a family business i mean that's just how it works um, so they're farming you know on average 200 acres they have on average 100 cows um, and so it's it's a low density farming model of small farms um whereas in new zealand you could have you know you could have up to a thousand animals on a farm. You have a lot of leased farms where people might go into it for as a business opportunity for five to 10 years and come out again. And it just, it, it's just a different way, you know? Um, I suppose the family farming model is very much key to our animal welfare standards as well. I mean, it goes hand in hand, you know? So that's, yeah, that's, I, I think Ireland is, is very much a unique part of what we're about, absolutely.
0: I think so. And I like the element of the family farming because I try to buy as much of the food as I can from small family farms. So the idea that you're basically a co-op of these small family farms sold under yes the truly grass-fed label.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a big part of it. Absolutely.
0: Right. And I, th- I think keeping the farm small, not having too many animals there, I'm sure that that's a big way that it keeps it healthy and sustainable. Are there other methods that you would say contribute to making truly grass-fed healthy and sustainable product other ones than we've talked about so far on this show
1: yeah look our farmers are constantly looking to become more sustainable um, and look we all have um a lot coming at us around climate change over the next few years which um, our farmers are very much embracing um, so uh, there's a number of ways of doing that you know it, it, it's looking at again back to the regenerative story Um, It is about um, how can you sort of cut carbon emissions on farm. Um, We have a farm facing team here in Lambia um, who work very closely with their farmers uh, in terms of the audit that I mentioned. So all of our farms are audited uh, every 18 months by the Sustainable Dairy Assurance Scheme. And that's um, an ISO accredited um, scheme that is um, part and parcel of Origin Green and Origin Green is a government sponsored sustainability initiative um, that is overseen by um, our Irish Food Board, which is called Board BIA. Um, so, to comply with that, each of the farmers um, have to be audited every 18 months and obviously have to be passed for um, about 200 different parameters, um, which all, are all around quality assurance, animal welfare, and sustainability measures. And as part of that, uh, we work with their farmers to develop um, their carbon navigator tools so they can measure their carbon emissions on the farm um, and work to reduce them. Um, And so a lot of that is arming them with the knowledge uh, of what it takes to do that um, and and actually be in a position to monitor and understand um, the progress that you're making. Um, And then better soil health uh, contributes to that as well, better water quality, and um, being more aware of biodiversity on the farm. Um, you know, we also have ways of, of sequestering carbon, so you can sequester carbon through soil, um, you can sequester carbon through um, through hedgerows, which are very uh, much a part of the Irish farm, and through um, afforestation and, you know, dedicating more of, of the farm to woodland where there is space to do that. So, There are a number of of initiatives um, that we're signed up to in Glambia to really um, kickstart this whole, um, well, we've been doing it for quite some time, but really moving much, much more vigorously now around the whole sustainability agenda. Um, And we have a number of of initiatives such as signpost farms, future farms, monitor farms, where we're looking at best practice um, around all of those things that I've talked about. Um, water quality, low emissions, slurry spreading, all of these things, uh, and then bringing that expertise and knowledge um, to the rest of of our farm supply base.
0: And going with the future of Glambia and Truly Grass-Fed, are there any products that you're looking at adding to the line, either in Ireland, they haven't had yet, or ones that you have in Ireland that we can expect in the US and other countries?
1: yeah we are looking at a number of of different categories at the moment. Um, we have some uh, incredible cream products here so we've great um our our range here in Ireland has a lot of great whipping creams um, and cooking creams fortunately it's it's one that's difficult for us to do in the u s because the US has its its whole sort of pasteurized milk ordinance or grade A requirements that, that make it very difficult for um, exporters to bring those sorts of products into the US, which is why you don't see a lot of imported greens and creamers and things like that. Um, so there is opportunity for us to do more there potentially. Um, and then just within butter and cheese, we have uh, lots of ideas. So. We have, um, we're looking at spreadable butters, for example, um, that we, again, all natural, nothing added, spreadable butter. Um, we're also looking at different types of cheeses. So not just cheddar cheese, but, but other types of cheese that we like to bring to the market. We have some really nice products um, in mind that we're in development on at the moment. So our ambition is absolutely to grow the footprint of the brand portfolio in the market.
0: And also in terms of future of Truly Grass-Fed, as you talked about, you do a lot of different research programs into health and sustainability. Are there any upcoming research projects that you're gonna be working on?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we do lots of research. So we like to keep close to our consumers. Um, and it's been interesting. Uh, it's funny how people adapt. I didn't think at the beginning of COVID, we knew that we'd some research projects that we wanted to do how it would work because we're all used to sitting behind a one way mirror and listening to consumers that way and um, coming together in a research suite or whatever. But actually it's quite interesting. It works well virtually as well. You know, you can actually do a pretty good job with consumers online as well. Um, so yeah, we've done some research um, just before Christmas. We have research ongoing um, that we run We panel research that we run a couple of times a year. Um, and uh, what we would like to do is maybe more sensory research um, in the early part of next year where we actually do taste tests, if you like, and get people to taste our butter versus other butters and and cheeses, et cetera, um, to really, I suppose, understand um, consumer preference in America for those products um, and give us a sense of, you know, how we can continue to develop and make sure that we're appealing to to Americans' tastes.
0: Yes, well, I'm looking forward to seeing all this development and what comes forth with your products for consumers looking to buy truly grass-fed, what are some of the places where they can find it?
1: Oh well, yeah, we're in a good few places at this point. We're probably in about eight to 9,000 stores at this stage. So um, in the California area, um, we're in, um, we're in Bristol farms. We, we, um, we're starting to go into uh, a number of, of, of the smaller natural chains um, in the kind of northwest. We're in PCC. Uh, we're in a we're actually in a good few places up there, town and country. Um, we on the east coast are in a lot of the bigger stores um, that you'd be used to seeing. So um, we're in. Stop and shop. Um, we're in Hannaford's, we're in um a lot of the giant banners. Um we are in Chicago, we're in jewel uh Florida and Georgia, we're in Publix. Um, so and we're in some of the whole food stores as well. Um, so yeah, look, we're we're in, we're starting to really get out there, which is great, and um, a lot more to to, to come, I should expect over the summer we've actually a lot of buyer meetings lined up so yeah hoping to um to, to get that distribution going even broader over the next few months
0: yes i have seen an explosion of your products in different stores because when i first discovered you at the natural products expo west in anaheim several years ago you know like i said i discovered you there so i wasn't really familiar with the product and right after then i started seeing i think vons was the first place i saw it and yeah, I'm seeing you all over in places now. Whole Foods, Bristol Farms.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, it's been it's been good over the last uh, year or so. We've got some good distribution, but still, still lots of opportunity there for more. Yeah, so we're very much in that mode of talking to buyers at the moment and convincing them to take us on. Uh, yeah, so yeah, no, it's it's going well. It's going well, which is great.
0: Sounds like it is, and I look forward to seeing. More of your developments. We're just about out of time, but before we go, can you tell the listeners where they can find the website for Truly Grassfed?
1: So, yeah, trulygrassfed.com. It's very easy. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and actually we've got a great store locator on that site. So um, feel free to uh, you know, if anyone is is interested in purchasing the product, um, that's updated continuously. So it should feed up, feed out the the latest and greatest in terms of distribution for us. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Nicola. It's been a pleasure having you on this show.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being here. I've enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. For those of you who have been hoping that I do episodes more frequently, I have some great news for you. I'll now be doing this show on a weekly basis. New episodes will be released every Wednesday. Next week, I celebrate the 100th episode of this podcast as I bring back frequent guests Hannah Crumb of Kombucha Camp and Monica Ford of Real Food Devotee. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.